All right, Zig coming in on the top. Today on the show, we have Raymond Anderson of Nation of No One, also of Whiskey Stills and Hash. Singer, songwriter, composer, does it all. He's got a new album out called And Whatnot, available on Bandcamp and SoundCloud under Nation of No One. Raymond also has a show coming at the matinee in Akron with Rent for Cheryl, Apple Whites, Frantic Nazis, and Nation of No One. Uh, and that's March 2nd in Akron at the uh, matinee. So check it out. Check out the tunes. We're going to listen to one of the tunes off And Whatnot. This is the song High Score. High Score, Nation of No One, available on SoundCloud and Bandcamp. Check it out. Uh, this was cool because this tune in particular kind of drew on the video game inspiration uh, Raymond has in his music that we talk about in the conversation. Anyway, if you can like, rate, review, subscribe to the podcast and any of the podcast platforms, it helps me keep talking to cool guests like Raymond and sharing their insights with you. Now without further ado, here's my conversation with Raymond. Dig it. Okay, when you sent me the link, I was like, you got a lot of records, man. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. 
And I think it's at 14 full lengths now, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah. And like diving into it, I was like, all right, well, I'll start with the one you sent me, the music schizophrenia. Music schizophrenia. Min- yeah, I, I was knew I was gonna, close. Yeah. I knew I was like, I gotta, I gotta figure out how I'm supposed to say this. One more time, music. Music schizophrenia. Schizophrenia, and like I dove, I, I listened to that one the most because, uh, I mean, that's the that's the freshest one, uh, at least what you sent me. Um, but is it is it because no 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 or whatever is like, or no um, no no and whatnot is that newer? And whatnot is the album I released after Music Schizophrenia. That's okay. my newest record. Okay, cool, cool. So all right, and whatnot, got it. Because like yep. the. For some reason on my phone, SoundCloud's like wonky. I don't know. Um, but okay, both so I dove into those two the most. But also right uh also looking at some of the some of your earlier releases, the very first one, it sounded like a it sounded it almost the first track sounded kinda like a video game soundtrack. And I, I guess I wanted to dive into does video game are you a gamer? Does gamer kind of does gaming kind of die uh, uh, um affect some of your scoring oh constantly okay yeah there's a huge influence from video games either directly or indirectly that impact my music well well i guess we'll start with that so like with gaming what was the were you an xbox guy were you a playstation guy were you like a gamecube guy because we're kind of around the same age um like as far as how far does it go back were you a game boy kid like what yeah yeah I, i had a game boy my first the con the first console I ever had, although I will admit it didn't leave a super huge impression on me, was a Super Nintendo. Um, yeah, I had like Mario Paint, uh, Super Mario World, some of the um, Donkey Kong Country games. Wasn't really big into the Nintendo stuff. I got really deeper into gaming though when my parents bought me a PlayStation Two, and I'm kind of like a, a Sony bro for life now. I have a PS4, and that's what I game most on now. Sick. Was it? It, it was a bit back then. Like, I remember, I remember, like my family only we we only had Nintendo stuff growing up, you know. And like, like uh, when someone said they had a PlayStation, in my head, I, I thought of it as like a little like a little like <laughs> jungle gym. You know what I mean? Like, I was very confused when, in like elementary school. What's a PlayStation? <laughs> like, yeah. But there's definitely they had the games, man. Um, with Mario Paint, was that the one where you can uh, compose on it, right? They had that, like, music? Yes. Okay. Yeah, you, it had, like, its own scoring system, and you can use a lot of the sound fonts and effects that were used in the Mario games so, to uh, write music. Did you do that? <laughs> I wish. I don't have <laughs> access to the, sa- to the sound font. Oh, do you mean if I, did it, ba- it, if I did it back then? Yeah. No, I didn't have much of an interest in music back then. Okay, okay. Because, like, that, I mean, that's pretty clutch now. I mean... <laughs> To take some of those files and drop them into some MIDI shit would be cool. Um, so I guess when did all right? So gaming definitely affected. What was it? Was it playing games and being affected by the music whilst playing them that kind of left a mark with you, or or was it like? Um, um it really depends on the song. Okay. It um, there's a piece of music I wrote called Dark Cloud Three. Yeah. Um, which is a ref. The title is a reference to a video game I used to like called uh, Dark Cloud or Dark Chronicle, depending on uh, which uh, which uh, translation you're going by. It's a JRPG, uh, and there was no Dark Cloud three. They only made two of them. 
uh, a high score off of and whatnot was very inspired by video game music. That's why it has all those uh, synths and stuff in the background. It was I approached Cyborg, the guy who uh, um, is featured on that track, to help me kind of put that together, and he did a splendid job with it. He has a a good blend of like sensibility for that kind of thing. Um, find the uh, the the kind of music bug that was planted from the video game. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, um, so I get like, aside from playing games and kind of being immersed in that, like, when did music start for you? And what was it? Was it guitar? Was it piano? So my musical journey kind of uh, started way, way back in high school. Um, I don't know what really possessed me that day to uh, do the things I did, but I had a, a CD player that I was able to acquire from my father and. I basically just kind of stole a few of his CDs and started listening to them. And I was just like really enthralled by it. The first album I ever had was ACDC Live at Donington, which I took from dad. He didn't really mind much because he didn't like that era of ACDC, but I thought it was pretty stellar. Then shortly after I uh, went out and bought some new CDs of my own, uh, the first three CDs I bought were ACDC Highway to Hell, which that was the era of ACDC my dad liked with Bon Scott. And uh, then I bought Legend by Bob Marley and uh, the Black Album by Metallica. Okay. Those are those are three heavy hitters in completely different ways. ACDC oh, yeah. is where I started, too. Like, oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nice. I, think it, uh, I loved Angus. He was such a great, uh, not just a great guitar player, but a great showman. Right. And like... Well, it's just like that embodiment of cool. You know what I mean? Like you think rock yeah. and roll, and it, it's it's cool in the sense where it is over the top, but it's not like Kiss, you know, where it's over yeah. over the top, and you're like, I I feel like there's something authentic here. Not that you had those thoughts as a kid, or not that I did. I don't know, but like <laughs> you're like, there's something here, and like <laughs> they're they're like the Ramones in the sense where it's like same formula almost every time. I can get behind this. I get it. <laughs> Oh, I mean, like, you know, that's good for branding. You know, it gives uh, recognition. Right. But the, the, I don't know. I don't think they were thinking about that. I think they just, like, I'm, I'm sure later they were, but, like, in the Highway to Hell era, like, that oh, was one of my first. Yeah. Phenomenal. Bon Scott was an amazing singer, too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so so you're cracking into that. You got Metallica going too, which is another one of those things. Like, if you catch it at that age, you're like, "Oh, this is the sickest shit!" <laughs> like, yeah. And so uh, from there, uh, that's where my interest in music started. But I didn't really have much of an ambition to be a writer until after I was introduced um, to System of a Down. Something about that music made me think, "Wow, it's not enough for me to listen to this. I I want to do something like this." Then I also discovered Frank Zappa, and he opened me up to a whole new world of like things that I never even really conceived possible to be done with music. And from there, my with my expanded horizons, I tried to branch out into as many different fields of composition as I could. And uh, Music Schizophrenia was a pretty good example of that. If you'll recall, uh, when we first became acquainted, I actually sent you an album released under my own name, uh, which was called The Great Zambini. Um, it, they were very, very poor demo quality recordings at the time, but the pieces themselves, I think, had a lot of value. So Music Schizophrenia uh, 
takes a lot of those original concepts and I refined it with my more uh, um, efficient uh, mixing and mastering skills and uh, re-released it on that album. No shit. Wow. Damn. (laughs) That's that's cool, man. Like, so, okay, so diving into, like, because System of a Down, like, I remember in high school, they were kind of everywhere. Oh, yeah. Did, did did someone show you Zappa, or did you find Zappa through listening to an interview with them, or like how did Zappa come into your uh, your your view? Well, Serge Tonkin spoke very glowingly about Zappa's work, and he even did a cover of uh, "Don't Eat the Yellow Snow" and Nanu okay. Grubs in it. That was pretty pretty damn good. Um, my father talked about Zappa too. I, I can't really say if my interest was piqued from either him or from Serge Tankian talking about it, but it was one of those two. Because like there was something like with like with System of Down, they're so precise and it's so tight, but also at the same time, it's got this like humor and like oh, you yeah. know what I mean. Like it, and there's something about like when someone installs like something that's humorous. Like it's putting down this guard in a way, and like it makes it seem more possible. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, uh, in part, partly because of how unique his voice is, and like how unique their approach is. Like, you're like, oh shit! If they can do something that them, I can do something that me. At least that's what I thought when I like really dove into system. Um, so like, and then the dive into Zappa. Now, like, as far as like, what was were you playing? anything at that time or is this just you taking in music um yeah so uh, i formed a nation of no one with friends and classmates uh, during high school um we had a very short run we played one of the last shows at peabody's nice. um i think we opened <laughs> for the misfits it was was it a gorilla uh, production thing uh probably <laughs> unfortunately i know we did play uh with a when I had to reform the lineup many years later, um, we did play a show at the Agora, and I know for a fact that was done through uh, Gorilla Productions. And uh, I met a lot of other musicians there uh, that I would be doing a lot of work with many years later. But um, yeah, uh, I, a lot of my earlier shows with was with what that crappy organization. Can I curse by the way? Because yeah, I was about yeah, to fine. Yeah, say yeah. something mean <laughs> or about. Yeah, that city organization. For and like for anyone who's listening who doesn't recall uh Gorilla Productions, what they were, right, was this production company primarily from my understanding, just through Peabody's. I like maybe after Peabody shut down, like they were also they, they were they for anywhere else? I only dealt with them at Peabody's. I thought they were like interstate. I thought they were a bit of a bigger organization, but they, yeah, no, after Peabody shot down, they went through the Agora too. So okay. they, they were around for a little bit, uh, a little bit longer. But the, the, anyway, it's a production company. And when you would sign up for a gig, they had like this, this uh, pyramid scheme ticket thing yep. going <laughs> where you had to sell a certain amount of tickets. And the more tickets you sold, the later your spot went in the night. Mm-hmm. And like, yep. And what do you remember the the cut? So like it was like if you sell ten tickets, you get a, a percent of one of your like. I can't remember. It was it was totally fried. Like you would sell like uh, well, a ticket. It really depended on the show because if it was a battle of the bands being labeled as a battle of the bands, you didn't get paid shit. Yeah, but like for, <laughs> like when when they would put, they would have a giant headliner like the Misfits, right? And like. Yep. They'd be like, do you want to open for the Misfits? Well, you got to sell a shit ton of tickets. And like, 
Um, and there was still the Misfits bill, right? Yeah, like it was more or less like that. They had the Misfits came into town with their touring bill, and like they had bands all day <laughs> until mm-hmm. that touring bill. And like the closer you can get to the actual touring bill is like actually getting that spot. But or like sometimes they had bands after. But uh, I can't remember the percent. It was like if you sold ten tickets, you got like for ten tickets at like thirteen dollars a piece. You got like three dollars a ticket or two dollars a ticket. It was it was fried. Yeah, it was a complete scam. <laughs> Oh man, I remember going in those like Peabody's at the beginning, going to that dingy office, and like, <laughs> here's my tickets. I didn't sell yeah. any. <laughs> oh man, yeah, but Peabody's was cool though. Like, aside from all that shit, like the venue itself was kind of cool. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, Sadly, only because I'm uh, such a young guy. Like, I only managed to like go there really for my show. Um, uh. I didn't really get to spend a whole lot of shows um, there just being an audience member. Neither did I. I mostly played there. And, like, I just, we, I remember playing a lot of, like, wacky bills where we'd be playing upstairs and you can just, but you had to be there at five o'clock. And, like, you may play at, like, one, but they required yeah. that every band was there by five. So we would spend hours just putzing around doing nothing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't miss those days. Yeah, they. I don't either, but I do kind of, I did, thinking back, I'm like, they were kind of fun. Like, we really had to figure out something to do for way too long. Yeah. Uh, Usually what I would do is, is I would just, like, read or something while I waited for the show to happen. Yeah. Um, I guess, okay, all right, back to, back to, so, so you start the first fo- uh, formation, you open for the Misfits, and, like, did you get the mingle with any of those guys how did that show go oh no i didn't mingle with anybody like outside of my own friend group and like uh, i didn't really even get much of a chance to meet the other bands the agora show was a little bit different um that was where i saw uh, midnight sun play for the first time okay. and uh, got very well acquainted with the members of that group and later joined a uh, splinter group um you know them whiskey stills and hash and that's kind of like where the impetus for that started for me as well so was it did you kind of hit it off with Keefe or who'd you like meet first from that group? Um Jordan. Jordan? Okay, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. he was also like running sound for the TLC tavern shows that was being run by a guy uh named Vinny Mack. And he had a thing for a local um Illyria musicians and bands and whatnot called VMA Productions, and he would release like um compilations and stuff and he would feature a lot of the artists on those compilations at these shows at this dingy little dive bar in Illyria called uh, TLC's Tavern. And that's where I met them all for, uh, well, minus Dan. That's where I met like John Keefe and Jordan for the first time. Okay. Yeah. Jordan's the coolest man. That guy, yeah. he hustles hard. He's doing like so much shit and I'm glad to see him like, like rising to the top with some of this stuff. Cause that dude's been hustling in so many different, so many different fields, you know, Oh yeah, I ran into. I I don't know if he's still at Guitar Center, but I ran into him. He was doing, he was doing a, a, a guitar repair or guitar setups. <laughs> I'm like, this yeah. Guy. Last I last time I spoke to him, he still was working at Guitar Center. Okay, like Jordan, Jordan just makes it work, man. Like that's that's someone like I find super inspiring. Like just oh whatever it is, he's still doing music. You know, he's got his family going. He's but he's doing all the things and he's incorporating it. 
Like last time, he was telling me some crazy, crazy cool stories where he brought his daughter to the, some shows he was running at uh, Nelson's, and the bands were like being super cool with her, and she was like having the time of her life. It's like awesome. Yeah. Man. Anyway, okay, so, so, so you play those shows, you meet those guys, and mm-hmm. like, what was the like? I guess kind of like being a project that you uh, you're writing all the songs, right? Or how's this working with a? Uh, uh, are you presenting it to the group? Or are you working with the group to come up with these songs? So how I originally ended up joining Whiskey Stills and Hash, I actually hired Jordan to uh, perform on one of my recordings. The piece okay. was called Comma, okay. and that was released on an album called No Artistic Value. Um, he played drums, of course, and uh, I can't remember where uh, we the name of the guy that we recorded it, but it was at his house. He had a home studio. The guy ended up uh, getting out of the recording music business. And now he works for Sweetwater. His name was like Dan Vranick or something like that. Um, Yeah. But after that, he invited me to join the band. I had a piece of music that was record eventually recorded on our debut release uh, called year of the platypus. And uh, that, song went through quite a few different changes um that was a very zappa inspired piece too so when i originally conceived the piece i came up with this ridiculous story about like some guy who writes music and has like this harebrained scheme to create a micro universe in which um it is ideal and he wants to do this through music and so what he does is he hires a bunch of overpaid union members to play a a shitty little orchestra spiel in a studio and as uh, the music cranks along the uh, reality of the world slowly just slips away and it's replaced with a vision of San Francisco and within the city of San Francisco (laughs) uh, a giant kaiju monster uh, called Plantarg the giant platypus comes and starts destroying it so a uh, superhero crew uh, called um, not the I think it was like, because the Avengers is Marvel. I think I named it like the Revengers or something like that. (laughs) Something silly like that. But they fight the monster to a piece of music called Beer of the Platypus. That's uh, sick. (laughs) The live idea behind it was supposed to include a lot of like uh, day-to-day improvisation and uh, um, stuff like that. But that didn't really end up coming to fruition. It became a little bit more composed as the other band members added their own little thing to it and we kind of settled down into a routine of how it's supposed to be played so sadly it didn't really achieve the vision i originally had but i am pretty satisfied with what it became nonetheless it's interesting being like a being like an idea guy or from where you're at coming with an idea of like here's a narrative and like like trying to work with a group like this as far as something that's can like kind of improv and like made up in the moment, like that process itself is really like a, it's interesting because idea itself slowly changes to fit what's growing. Like what you're, it's kind of like uh, chiseling away at like a, at a cube to see the character that's going to be there. Um, is that a, is that a process you norm like is that something you're more comfortable with is that like usually what you do or is this like a a group dynamic well my approach to music just generally is that i try not to treat the material as like a a static quantity to me music is living and life implies motion and change so obviously i believe music should be able to do this as well and uh, 
depending on the intuitiveness of the person performing the piece, you can do a lot of different things that you might not be able to imagine in a studio setting or just like writing on a piece of paper. Like, and when it comes to whiskey stills and hash, like there was a lot of that going on, but I still nonetheless feel like there was a lot of undeveloped potential that we never really reached with the group yet. And, uh, when it comes to a lot of my pieces, like the stuff on music schizophrenia, a lot of there's a lot of sections that are supposed to have those developing improvs. Uh, if the music were to ever be performed live, uh, Captain Clam Cake and the Great Zambini would be good examples of this. Yeah, getting into that record, like kind of diving into it, like when I was listening to it, it like the Zappa thing definitely um, stuck out to me as far as like would that be an influence? And after talking with you, yes. Um, mm. But, like, it was interesting because, like, each piece, like, resolved, like, it was very, like, uh, tension-filled and how it resolved in, <laughs> in a lot of pieces and, like, a lot of the movements were, like, like, yep. you're living, you're living in that, in that tension-filled <laughs> zone. And it's really cool. Um, but as far as, like, composing with it, like, were you using MIDI stuff? Were you, like, writing these mm-hmm. out like what what that process look like yeah i primarily compose in midi i okay. think there is like some tabs for the guitar parts to great zambini and some sheet music somewhere that i've attempted to write especially for like the prelude uh the piano prelude of the great zambini i know i have scored that out at one point but after a certain point beyond writing in MIDI, I kind of like abandoned writing sheet music because for one thing, I can't really get people that want to perform the pieces anyways. And uh, sheet music is cool and all to look at, but it's painstaking work to (laughs) write out a score. So it's like, why bother when I can just type it into the the MIDI program and the MIDI program isn't going to complain like, oh, I can't whistle to this, Raymond. It's not, it's not, it doesn't get me off. The computer just does what I tell it to do. So (laughs) is it true? True, true. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, one uh, broken fingers. Can you tell me a little bit about that one? Because that one is, I felt a lot of tension in that one. <laughs> like, okay, so uh, I drew a lot of influence from chamber pieces done by a composer by the name of Anton Webern, and okay, uh, he cool. was part of the Second Viennese School. Um, he was taught by Arnold Schoenberg. He was a composer from Austria. Um, and he had a very refined technique that was imparted to him by Schoenberg that involved uh, approaching uh, the scale of pitches and giving each pitch um, uh, equal relevance within a piece of music. So some people call it dodecaphony, uh, or, or my bad, dodecaphony, you know, uh, but basically that just means 12 tone. And that is a huge aspect of what the Broken Finger String Quartet uh, was an attempt at doing. I wanted to give equal relevance to every single pitch in uh, in the 12 pitches I could choose from. And uh, that was my first successful attempt at doing this without making any mistakes and without, like, reusing a pitch too many times. That's sick. Because like I remember learning about tone rolls and lo- learning about a uh, twelve tone music and and yep. like but I've never like you know and trying to analyze it, but I've <laughs> never I've never met anyone who's done it. So, oh, that's yeah awesome. yeah I wanted to give it a try. So uh, 
Weber's music is a lot smarter than mine, and he'll uh, formulate his melodies to have like certain elements of repetition that go even beyond just serializing the pitches. Me, on the other hand, I'm also very fascinated with uh, polyrhythm and trying to stick as many notes into a single beat as possible. So it is called the Broken Finger String Quartet because I'm not 100% sure if it's actually even playable. I, there's a lot of instances of like where I wrote like nine in the span of two beats or 11 in one beat or like stuff like that, you know? So, but all this is kind of five over three beats. (laughs) Right, right, right. Like if I was, if I was trying to tap everything as I was hearing it, I would lose my fucking mind (laughs) because like it's, it's everywhere. But knowing, knowing this makes it make more sense. Like, because I haven't thought about 12-tone stuff in, like, a minute. Like, I haven't (laughs) since, like, studying that stuff in school. But, um, uh, like, this is, like, some higher-level theoretical, like, composing. You know, like, when did, like, this, like, going back through all this, like, diving into Zappa and diving into, like, uh, a system of a down, like, and just playing bands in high school, like, this is, like... Did you did you dive into like studying composers in high school? Did you go to college for music? Did you like is this just the the bug and you chased it down? No, it's just a bug and I chased it down. I never went yeah? to college. Okay. I, I never the only schooling I ever got for music was like band stuff in high school and that was sh- the shit that I really wasn't interested in. The, the the music we played was a huge drag and like when I was in the marching band, all they made me do was walk backwards with a pair of cymbals being a living holder for a hi-hat and I hated <laughs> that. Um, so <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, it was only out of a desire to know and absorb as much of the musical world that I could possibly get my hands on because I I felt like as a composer, it is a requirement uh, to educate yourself on things like that and know what other people are doing. Like, and for as much as I love the works of like Stravinsky, Varez and uh, Webern and all those guys from the 20th century and all that jazz, I I will admit I've kind of come a bit more to appreciate more modern musicians and not just in terms of the so-called classical world but also in terms of like popular music and stuff like that like who uh i guess like like zorn like uh who are we talking like as far as yeah like- zorn is cool um i liked his album spillane i also liked his uh um it because this piece was kind of improvisational too it was called cobra and there was a really good recording that was being distributed on uh, YouTube that sadly I can't find anymore. But there was also some several live performances of that kind of music that I thought was pretty pretty stellar. Zorn is cool. I like a guy by the name of Samuel Andreev. Um, he released a piece of music that's very beautiful called Iridescent Notation, and it has a very um, um, Pierre Boulet-type sound, so it was pretty cool. That's sick. Yeah, I think uh, they just put like all Zorn stuff on Spotify. Like, nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, my drummer was telling me about that the other day. And I was like, "Whoa, sick!" Because we've been talking. Like, I've been. Have you read any of his Arca- Arcana books? Like those. No. Nah. Okay. He like it's kind of like it's like I guess a composer zine. <laughs> like it's like a thick. <laughs> like uh, he's an editor of it, but it just it's just compiled a bunch of uh, other musicians and crazy ideas or theoretical ideas, compositions. It's all over the place. But it's just like it's the best way I can think to to title it is like a zine for like <laughs> like higher thinking <laughs> like 
But that's awesome, yeah. man. I have a playlist of several presently living composers on my SoundCloud that features music from primarily three artists, one of them being Samuel Andreev. Um, Iridescent Notation was not on SoundCloud, but his uh, Sonata de Carrera is in the playlist, as well as pieces by uh, a guy named Magdi Hameda and uh, Gary Noland. So even kind of looking at music through a composition's lens, right? You're looking at like a higher, like higher written, like not higher, I should say a larger written piece. And like, it takes a different kind of like train of thought or train of like uh, appreciating music to really want to know how this works and to really be inspired by how it works. Like, and I guess kind of going back to like the video game composition, you're following this piece and you're playing it in a way because it's interacting with the character you are within yeah. the game that you're playing. So did, I guess like, were you always kind of like thinking in a bigger picture like this? Were you hearing pieces and like following like motifs where they come in and when they come out like that, diving into music from the rip? Oh yeah. I mean like when it comes to especially larger scale pieces, uh, whenever there's like, repetitions of themes like to me that's like uh, you know as important as like uh certain character tropes or actions being done in movies and and what have you like i, I feel like it's um important to like tell a story with music and at the very least it gets uh, people way more interested in what you're trying to do and i guess my follow-up to that would there be like a piece um even if it's like a video game piece or something at a younger age, like whilst diving into ACDC that really made you like think and want to write in that, in that larger compositional sense. A lot of the soundtrack for kingdom hearts. Yeah. Like I was very influenced by that stuff back then. Dude, that was right. Out. You didn't even think about that. That came right out. That game was sick. <laughs> and dark cloud, uh, dark cloud was too. A lot of JRPG type music really influenced okay. me. That's awesome, man. Like, <laughs> Uh, working with like kids at work, like uh, uh, I teach, I, I end up teaching a lot of video game music, right? And it made yeah. me think about it differently. Like we learn little bits of themes from just like whatever from Mario or from uh, uh, all the all them kids are into the Megalovania. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> I mean, like speaking of that guy, I mean, like he was just generally a good composer, not yeah. just a game maker, and he did use. Um, the sound font from uh, Mario Paint to use a lot of those pieces. I mean, that's to use in those I pieces. I did not know that. That's awesome. Yeah. But that's a great, that's like a blues scale. So like, all right, anyway, so your your mind's in this compositional space and like playing with whiskey stills and hash, like uh, that's kind of a balance of like a, the, of a band band in a way. You know what I mean? Like there's compositions, but um, it's more grounded into like a, like you would see it at a show. So kind of like that duality, was it easy to fit in with that? Uh, not really, no. It okay. was kind of hard, and I still struggle with it if I'm being 100% honest. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, when it comes to Whiskey Stills and Hash, like the creative elements are all just kind of like a, a contribution from the individual members. Some things uh, stick better than others, and you know, we just kind of have to work it out and figure it out as we go along. And like, no, so, I will admit, I kind, I kind of am a little bit hard to work with when it comes to like songwriting and stuff. Was it um, well, is it? Do you find it's that sense because you're thinking in a larger scale and like trying to resolve to this 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 plot point at the end of whatever it is, and it, 
it's partially because of that. It's also partially because like, uh, I'll bring music to people and this is just generally, it's not just with, with my band, but I'll just bring music to people generally. And it's, um, I don't think they really get why I would write the way I do or like, cause I also include a lot of elements of humor sometimes or like, but then people will think I'm serious or I'll treat like really, really intense negative emotions and a piece of music as a way to kind of like section those feelings away from me and create like a form of self self therapy. But I feel like th it ends up creating something that can be kind of off putting to people. So like, it's not always easy for me to like convince people of my ideas and stuff like that because of those reasons. Right. Right. Well, and it, that's as a songwriter or a composer or anyone that's putting their own self out there, that's like the most scary moment is like when you show them the song and you're like, I don't know. Like it takes a uh -huh. long time to get a group of people to like, to even buy into what you're saying. You know what I mean? And like, like once, once that exists, it's it's different you know what i mean like you feel you like you got this backing to it yeah um, but it's a very that's a very delicate thing that can very well that can go from super supported to like man i like that idea really fucking quick yeah. <laughs> like um but but that's like i mean just to kind of be is that uh i guess that looking at the amount of uh output nation of no one has is it partly because of that? Is it like having these like really like kind of uh, getting these emotions out in a way no one else will allow you to? Is that why? Definitely. Okay. Yeah, it, it, that is uh, one of the uh, driving forces be behind how I approach my music, especially with a lot of the music on and whatnot. Because like with music schizophrenia, that was just like an attempt purely at creating something that would be like really musically far out, really like just in depth. Um, but the, the, the themes aren't very uh, explicit, only implied. Whereas, and what, and whatnot, a lot of the themes are far more explicit and in some cases really dark. Even, but sonically, sonically, it, it, some of it has like a, a this punk, like uh, almost poppy element to it. Diving, mm. and it may have been because I jumped into the these far out compositions first. <laughs> you know what I mean? I jumped so, into yeah, that. Yeah, and whatnot sounded like it. This it sounds sound like a completely <laughs> different band. <laughs> well, and that's then I started to really get into it. Some of the earlier, like on your first release, I'm like, one of this, uh, the second song sounds like a Metallica tune. I'm like, this this guy's everywhere. Um, oh yeah. But but okay okay so like with that and I I saw that you guys are. You're playing live in Akron, right? Yeah, I just posted about that recently. I'm going to be doing, like, as far as it is going to be set up now, and I'm rehearsing it as such. It's going to be an acoustic set. Okay. It's going to uh, include some music uh, from And Whatnot, um, some music from a future release I have planned for this year, which is uh, titled The Furnace. I still have to make the album work for it um, and record bass for the title track. I got a guy who wants to record bass for it, and that was going to be, like, his little his little tryout thing uh, it, for live performances. Cause I would like to put a group together eventually to play some of this music more often. And it just hasn't like manifested. Um, but um, if that goes well, great. We haven't, unfor we unfortunately haven't been able to meet yet though. Okay. All right. Well, hopefully that pans out. And like, I, cause I was going to ask like with like a catalog that's so all over the place, 
Like when it comes to performing live, what's that look like? And I mean, you just answered it with a going solo dolo and pulling different pieces from from the newest release. But like, yep. Um, with this next coming release, <clears throat> is it anything like what we've heard so far? Like, is it pulling from any of these to kind of to pry at that for a moment? Is Furnace going to be prying at some of these crazy compositions, or is it going to be looking more like uh, this last release? There's actually going to be a little bit of a balance between those two forces. I think it leans a little bit closer to the kind of style I cultivated on and whatnot. Uh, but it's also going to have certain sections of the more complex and or just generally weird stuff on it as well that didn't really have a, a home. The whole <clears throat> album itself is mostly pieces of music that I felt like didn't have a real home mm-hmm. yet. So I kind of like fashioned a home for them out of... Uh, means of necessity and circumstances there's a a piece of music that i released on soundcloud uh called poop can be sexual and uh it uh samples some crazy guy talking about how uh he fetishizes poop and uh it's uh that's uh, can be (laughs) oh oh yeah yeah absolutely it's like it's like a um wild man fisher type stuff but anyway the music itself has a lot of like odd time signatures again, like five over eight. Uh, I think I did uh, 13 over 16 and uh, seven eights. It'll go back and forth between a lot of different uh, time signatures like that. Not even play a guitar solo in five eights. Damn dude. That had to be, that had to suck for a while. <laughs> getting that. It was, it was hard to get accustomed to it, but you get a feel for it eventually. What was the hack for that? What'd you do? Did you have like a mental, like, I had a melody in mind and it focuses very, uh, it centers around the, the melody there. And I kind of okay. just kind of like explore, so to speak from there. Gotcha. Cause like, was it five, eight? So like one, two, three, one, two, three, or one, two, one, two, three, one, right. two, one, two, three, one, okay. two, one, two, three, but it's a little bit slower. It okay. was like, more like one, two, one, two, three, one, two, okay. one, two, three. That's, that's the, like the, 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 the hardest part of those puzzles, but also like, because it's, it is, you can break it up and make it make sense. Then, then the doing it right. And the learning to like naturally convey yourself like you would in four is a completely different experience than how the thinking of it. Um, Definitely. I guess the next question I have with that is kind of like, what does your process of like writing or composing look like? Do you like, are you a guy that sits down and works on something every day? Do you take it as inspiration comes like, what's that look like for you? Uh, the latter. I take it as inspiration comes. And okay. unfortunately, um, I definitely have forgotten or misplaced way more music than I've ever actually recorded or managed to perform. You know, time, restraints, work life, daily life. It takes me away from being able to do that sort of thing. But when I have free time to get my ideas down, recorded, and uh, put them out there, it, it's always a process of um always changing and always evolving so in a lot of ways I'm, i never really feel finished with a piece of music individually but after a certain point i have to put it out there just to you know put something out because if i if i'm such a perfectionist i'm sitting here constantly changing constantly revising then i'll never connect i'll never be able to spread my music out there and i don't want to i don't want to be stagnant right well but, that's- yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. sorry, but 
I don't mean to cut you off. Yeah, but I always just kind of approach it from the angle of like that it's always evolving and can always change. That's cool. I mean, then it even goes to like the original demos you sent me, which is now this new record or this second new record, <laughs> this yep. pen- penultimate new record. Um, but that's I, one, it's a really hard like process to have an idea and be like, okay, here it is. It's done. Next thing, especially when like you have a bigger concept like you like most of your pieces do. Like, it, so I, I, I totally relate to that. And like, I totally relate to like just putting it out and moving on. Because that's that's such a like, uh, here's the baby, uh, and you know, you know what I mean. Like it's it's not an easy process, but like once you get in that flow of it, that makes those ideas like here they are, next thing, here they are, next thing, and like it's weird that like that kind of ebb and flow and always turning machine of like writing and composing and like playing and coming up with things is like is oddly kind of like the flow of it, you know? Yes, and like absolutely. Or at least for myself, ultimately, where I kind of want to strive, stride to get to is like uh, this this place of putting stuff out, put, doing the best I can. Here it is, next thing. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that's awesome. Um, so okay, so furnace. Think of being about a couple months. Where you th- when are you thinking about dropping that? Um, probably May. April, April, May, somewhere um, around then. And I will also be releasing an EP, an instrumental EP uh, shortly before that, which is called Industrial Archaeology. And uh, that's more like electronic industrial dance music, I guess you can say. That sounds badass. That's a cool (laughs) title, man. Um, Yeah. Awesome. And then like, okay, so the show in Akron, which is, I don't don't have the details in my head. Um, It's at the matinee matinee and what day is that um march 2nd march 2nd okay cool we'll definitely get this out before then so who else is on that bill i saw there's two other acts uh Uh, one group i remember was called the apple whites i'd have to go look at the event to see who else was on it all right one was called the apple whites and they were kind of like an alt rock group nation of no one the apple whites (laughs) um Cool, man. Well, and, I'm actually going to look look for yeah, it real let's, quick. Let's put a pin in it. I'll chop it up, and we'll just plug it in one. Um, and does I guess after that, does like does a, does whiskey, stills, and hash have anything coming up? The other – hold up. Before uh, – uh, let me shout out the other groups okay. because I found the, uh, the flyer for it. The other bands were Rent for Cheryl and the Frantic Nancys. The Frantic Nancys, from what I can tell from their Facebook group, is a punk rock group. So yeah. at least for some of the uh, tracks off of and whatnot, they probably sound closest to like the, that kind of stuff. And Whiskey Stills and Hash, right now we are working on an EP. Okay, sick. Very cool. Yeah, it's uh, we had a uh, a bandmate unfortunately pass away recently, and uh, a lot of the songs on this EP are basically just going to be a, a big tribute to him, and uh, they feature some of his vocals that were uh, sadly kind of absent from our first album. But he has like he play he sings on the chorus of one of the pieces we're going to be releasing called Grandpa's Juice. And uh, on a another song called "Smoke Weed" about it, we uh, he he did a verse for it. We all kind of did a verse for the that that song. So, yeah, man, that's I mean that's intense, but like I think that's a badass way to like pay pay honor to you know 
and it's really cool that some of those tracks exist to do that yeah yeah we're actually uh working on my laptop right now because it was really really buggy and needed like um to be defragged and needed a lot of repairs we actually tried doing having a recording session recently at our last practice and it didn't go very well um so that's in the works um we're gonna be trying to do like a tribute show for john as well um andrea who's our singer wants to hold it at the winchester so um as soon as I have more solid details about that, of course, I'll be posting about that on my Facebook page as well. Awesome, man. Well, hey, thanks for reaching out. And I, I enjoyed diving into Nation of No One's like wide, vast catalog and trying to wrap my brain around it. And which is only going to keep growing. <laughs> which, 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 what, but that's the badass part, man. And I've also uh, uh, dug, I'm losing my words. I also enjoyed, let me use regular words. I also enjoyed getting to chat with you like this, man. Cause like, aside oh, from yeah. just like, you know, gigs and like passing by, it's um, part of the podcasty thing is like, like hearing where everyone's actually coming from. So, yeah, no, it was really enjoyable. And we'd never, uh, you know, cause when you're at shows and whatnot, whether it's like loud music or everybody's kind of floating around in their own social group groups, we never really had much of a chance to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation. So I had a, had a really enjoyable time. This was fun. Awesome. Thanks, man. Cool. Cool. Well, we'll wrap it here with that. And, um, what I'll do is I'll, I'll chop out a little bit here at the end to make that we, we didn't forget about the other bands. We knew exactly who they were. Yeah. <laughs> I'll make that seem a little smoother. Um, and then with uh, whiskey stills and hash, when you guys are done with this EP, hit me up and like let's let's get together and do a, a chat about it because that's like that's intense, man. And like, yeah, I think that's well for that one, I'll bring along the other band members right, and we right, can make right. it like a, a bigger thing. So. We can even like meet up in person and like do like a, a whole a whole spiel with that. Because I remember playing at your guys's first release or second release. Uh, uh, Whiskey Sills and Hash only had a uh, uh, one release. Okay, because I, I remember officially. playing. It was at that weird bar. Um, yeah, it was called the Whiskeyville. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think it's closed now. <laughs> uh, I think there was like something wrong with the the uh, owner of the place. He was a little um uh, a little out of it the last time we uh, spoke. He was talking about how like he got abducted by aliens oh and stuff like that. That sounds like a song. That sounds like an album. <laughs> like yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I remember. I remember playing that show and like I did. I remember doing a solo bit with it. Um, but uh, but yeah, if when you guys are ready to put that EP out, I'd love to like sit with all you guys and like we can do a whole band one. That'd be cool. Yo, Spike Spiegel here. You just listened to Zig of the Gig Podcast. Keep riding the bebop. See you, Space Cowboy. Bang.